0: Hello, and welcome to the Landmark Theaters Q&A podcast. Today, we'll hear a Q&A with writer-director Ryan Johnson about his latest film, Knives Out. This conversation was recorded at the Landmark in Los Angeles during the film's opening weekend.
1: Are we on? Are we on? I think we're on. Can you hear me? Oh, yes, you can. Hi everyone. I'm Kara Warner. Very lucky. I work for People Magazine, and I get to cover the film industry and the wonderful people who make them. Very happy to be here today uh, with writer, director, producer extraordinaire, Ryan Johnson. <laughs> it sounds like you did not like it, <laughs> right? Um, who did anyone is brave enough? Is anyone brave enough to raise their hand to tell me if you figured it out? You knew who did it? Yes. Nice. I didn't.
0: <laughs> I can
1: never figure those things out. Um, I'm wondering when, like, how do you plot kind of the unveiling of everything? Is, I mean, I like to envision like a Law and Order SVU murder board, you know, where yeah. things are going. You have the plot. Pieces right.
0: of yarn and how, how did yeah. you do
1: it? How did you do it?
0: Yeah. Well, uh, and Cara, thank you for doing this. And guys, yeah. thank you so much for being here. And thanks for sticking around. And, and yeah. Now, I apologize for you guys in the front row, because I feel like we're literally on ta- in your laps right now. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk quietly. Uh, so, yeah, I, I actually, so I I love Agatha Christie books, and I, since I was a kid, that's where all of this comes from, is just wanting to do a whodunit. Um, but, I mean, the way that, to answer your question, kind of the way that I went about plotting it out, um, I kind of didn't think about plot first. I kind of thought about uh, story, which is kind of like a slightly different thing. I guess it's it's more like... I was really thinking about like, okay, could you do something that starts as a whodunit and then kind of turns into a Hitchcock thriller, where it's more about here's someone you care about and they're threatened, and let's all lean forward and see if they can get out of it, and you're not thinking so much about the clue gathering and whodunit part of it. We almost tell we tell the audience like, kind of don't worry about that. Uh, let's just. Here's Marda and she's in trouble. Let's see how she gets out of this. And then turn it back into a who done it at the end and kind of reveal that a who done it's been hiding underneath the misdirect of the thriller the whole time. So that was kind of the starting point, and then once I had that framework, I started filling it out with plot and that that made it a little easier and more manageable instead of approaching it like a game of clue like who done it and what room and and all of that
1: right so you kind of knew going in who had done what so it's it was just sort of
0: yeah and building it around yeah. the, the dramatic structure of what the ride is going to be like for for you guys and then watching it as opposed to thinking of it as a crossword puzzle yeah yeah.
1: yeah. Did you write any of the roles specifically with the people that you ended up working
0: with? No, uh, except for Noah Segan, who plays Trooper Wagner, who's a a very... He was in my first movie, Brick. He's been in all the movies I've done. Yeah, Ah. Noah! And he's... He's one of my very best friends, and so it would have been awkward if I didn't write a role from this, but we see each other every day. Um, but other than that, no, I've kind of learned to not write with actors in mind because you'll just get your heart broken because they won't be available. And so I just wrote with a blank slate and we put the cast together. Right.
1: And I think, was Mr. Craig the first person to sign
0: on? Yeah, Daniel Craig was the first one to sign on. Um, he's the reason the movie got made. And he uh, also, because when he signed on, he had a really brief window before he went into back into James went to start shooting the next James Bond movie and so from the moment he said yes we had six weeks until we had to start filming so we had to get had to get the entire rest of the cast together and prep the whole movie in six weeks which which is really really fast Um, but I think that actually helped I think that put like a because when you ask actors like oh yeah we're shooting sometime next year what do you think they're in the back of their minds or their agents are like Kind of keeping their options open in case a Marvel movie comes up or something, whereas now it was literally like, "Are you available right now to come to Boston?" and and Chris Evans lives in Boston, so for him it was he was a local hire. He could he could drive to work in the morning.
1: Did his family come visit the set? No, they
0: did, and we went over to his house and hung out like a few times, like for parties and stuff, and that was always fun. But yeah, yeah,
1: Nice. nice. That's so fun. Is my? I mean, my favorite moment in. With Daniel Craig's character, is that donut hole monologue? I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, just like, where did that come? It was, where, when did when in the process of that come? Well, I feel like
0: if you if you like uh, whodunits, there's always a point where the detective like makes some goofy extended <laughs> metaphor about the case that makes no sense at all. <laughs> And I thought it'd be fun to do one of those. And I'd written that, and I almost cut it in the script. And, and I was like talking to Daniel, and I was like, yeah, I don't know about this. It's kind of silly. And he kind of raised an eyebrow and was like, mm, let me try something with it. And I was like, okay. And he went on set, I remember just like this giddy smile spreading across my face as he attacked that ridiculous chunk of dialogue with the fervor of like a wolf tearing into a deer carcass. And (laughs) it's a horrible analogy, I apologize. That's worse than the donut hole analogy, I'm sorry. And grosser, so sorry.
1: He takes his job seriously, that's what you're telling us. Uh, I think it's so great. as, could you kind of talk about, like, I guess, how everyone else signed on? I mean, I know Jamie Lee Curtis, I follow on Instagram, has been a delight because she obviously loves this movie and it's so fun to see when actors really love their film and support yeah. each other. I mean, what was it like with all the dominoes kind of falling in place? It
0: was, yeah, it w- I mean, it was like a snowball because once Daniel was on, everyone wants to work with Daniel. And then, um, Michael Shannon was the next one to sign on and everyone wants to work with Michael Shannon and then Lakeith signed on and it was like it was like a snowball going down the hill. I think actors attracted actors. Um Jamie was awesome. She's my am- she's amazing. And she's uh she's also she's she's so good and she's also so incredibly cool. She's like a she has like an alpha nerd energy. She's like, she's the first one on set every day. She's early to every single day. She would, just, um, she would just hang out on set even when she wasn't needed. She's in scenes in the movie that she wasn't supposed to be in just cause she was there. And I got nervous and confused and just put her in the scene. <laughs> she's, she's the best, she's amazing.
1: I heard that she was like actually using the kitchen.
0: Oh yeah, so we were shooting a prop. Yeah, we were shooting this real house uh, that a family lived in, and uh, so I mean they knew we were shooting there. We weren't didn't sneak in, but uh, but the rest of the cast would like go down in the basement where there was this funky little rec room, and they all hang out down there. Jamie from day one set up shop in the kitchen with the homeowner. And every morning it got to the point where she would come in and she'd you know, put her yogurt in the fridge and she would sit down with the homeowner and they would make coffee. And by the end of the shoot, they were baking cookies together. And it was just like Jamie's kitchen, basically. Yeah. So fun.
1: Bringing up the house, which I think is such a great additional character, not that we need more characters, but it's fantastic. Were there any sort of happy surprises? I mean, obviously, the location managers found it and everything. But are there some little happy surprises that you would have never expected that kind of enhanced...
0: Well, I mean, just finding the house was the biggest yeah. surprise. I mean, we, we were looking for the murder mystery mansion of the mind, And then we just we saw a picture of that house, and we were just like, oh my god, that's it. That's why we went to Massachusetts in the middle of winter to shoot, because of that house. And it was worth it. Um, but then the inside of the house, um, you know, we shot a lot of the stuff inside the house, but it, it, it wasn't dressed like that. It was, you know, all of that stuff that's in the house. That's our production designer, David Crank, who's amazing, and our uh, set decorator, David Schlesinger. He is the guy who found... Everything inside that house, all the crazy little robots and sculptures, and like the knife sculpture, and like all the artwork, um, Schlesinger's. or something. I gave him the reference of one of my favorite movies, the 1970s version of Sleuth, with Michael Caine and Laurence Olivier. Yeah, and which is also it largely takes place in a mansion owned by an eccentric mystery writer, and is just filled with his obsessions. And um, so, yeah, they David went off on that. Yeah.
1: I know that I think Chris Evans kept some of his sweaters. Bless him. <laughs> um, it, are you someone that likes to like keep a piece of, of one of your photos? I'll
0: steal them? anything I can, man. They <laughs> got to you know, keep their eyes on. My pockets were jangling as I was walking really out of the sea, on the wrap. No, I, I I really wanted that knife sculpture. Who wouldn't? But half the knives were rented. Or, and so really? we had to give them back at the end of the shoot. Yeah, sad. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where you rent knives from. It, It's possible they were lying to me. It's possible. Maybe
1: maybe this studio can get us a replica. Uh, Something something like that. I don't know. (laughs) I know know that you kind of, obviously, I think a lot of the actors, as I've read, have spoken obviously very highly of Ryan's writing. Very tight script and everything. Are there any sort of happy accidents from improv when you kind of let, or when when do you allow kind of the
0: actors to do that. Yeah, thing. I mean, I'd I like to, even though it is very like, you know, like a jigsaw puzzle, it, I, I love keeping it open to kind of accidents, and especially when all the families started arguing with each other. That's when they could all just like cut loose. And the VIP of like improvised argument lines that you would never expect, was, the funniest one of all of them was Michael Shannon. And some of, the, I think the funniest lines in the whole thing are Shannon, Shannonisms. Uh, <laughs> He at some point he uh, he had the line when Chris Evans is telling everyone to eat shit, it was Michael shouts I'm not eating one iota of shit and I just lost it. That was him. He just went up and started shoving the cookies in Chris's mouth and saying How about some more cookies, Hugh? Maybe Harlan left you a cold glass of milk in his will, asshole. Which we just Michael Shannon is like a comedy genius and you would never expect it because he can be so intense, (laughs) like. Maybe that's what makes it funnier. I don't know.
1: I yeah. like it. Is there? I know you said you like pretty tight and like you kept everything in. Is there? Are there some things that you can't wait to have like on a special?
0: There's feature? a couple of. Re- there, t- really, we didn't cut out a ton from the movie. There are two really, really good scenes that um, we'll include. Not in. We won't add them back in. But, but we'll include them as like extras. But there there are a couple. There's one really good scene with Tony Collette's character and with Joni and uh, and and Daniel, where he. It was just another scene that was kind of supposed to show that he knew that her company was broke. And he talks about how we set up earlier like that he has a rash and Lakeith is like, Oh, you got a bad rash there. He goes, Oh, that's interesting. And then like twenty minutes later he has a scene with Joni where he talks about how he uh, <laughs> he went on her Flam website and ordered the snail jelly moisturizer oh, yeah, yeah. and got a horrible rash from it. <laughs> And then he went on beauty message boards and found out everyone was getting rashes, and that's how he knew her company was broke. And uh, he, he ends it with walking out and saying, I hope I hope, and I pray you didn't do anything rash. And he, it was so, you know, really bad, but, but he sold it. I kind of loved it. Though.
1: Oh, yes, we must, we must see that now. Um, I think one of the great things about us is this, this movie is so rewatchable. I mean, I think... I can't wait to have it and like obviously watch the Donut Home monologue a million times. But <laughs> mm-hmm. are there little things that you're willing to share, like little Easter eggs that kind of are enhanced? There's a
0: couple the of videos. fun. To, did everyone? Did anyone catch Joseph Gordon-Levitt's cameo in it? I just saw it?
1: it. I just saw him tweet about it.
0: Before. Yeah, it was so he. So Joe's like been a good friend of mine since we made our first movie together, Brick. And um, he has been in some way in every one of my movies. He was a alien voice in Star Wars. In this, he is the cop on the iPad at the beginning, who's like, we have. The nanny cam footage. That's true, Goran Levitt. Um. What else did we get in there, um, Ricky Jay? Do you guys know who Ricky Jay is? R- yeah, Ricky. R- yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ricky Jay is a was one of the great sleight of hand magicians in in of all time. He was a dear friend of mine. He was also a scholar of con men, and he did the he did the, the um, he was Ben David Mamet's films. He did the opening narration for Magnolia. He I met him because he did the opening narration for uh, the Brothers Bloom, a movie I made. He's and he passed away way well, right before we made the movie, but he was supposed to play the part that Emmett Walsh played of the security guard in this. And so if you look in that security shack, we kind of photoshopped a picture of Ricky as the old groundskeeper with like a rifle and a dog, and it's stuck to the fridge with a magnet. So you can now uh, see spot Ricky J in the movie.
1: That's lovely. Um, I'm reminded that like, I feel like Don Johnson is a kind of subtle standout. What I love about all the actors too in this, I think, is that everyone's playing like, they're all bonkers, but like so subtly. And I feel like that's the talent to obviously your direction and like their abilities. Was there something that surprised you or pleasantly surprised you about Mr. Johnson? Well,
0: Don Johnson, what can one say? It was wow, <laughs> that's so great. It was uh no, he was funny. He kind of like immediately got it and he kinda of played it like the same way that the dude is kind of always slightly high. Don Johnson always has like, in the as his character in the movie always has, like, a country club buzz, I think he <laughs> called it. So he... Uh, no, Don was hilarious. But all the actors... I mean, you're right. That's that's the balance with the film, is, is how to go as big as possible, but because it's not a parody, because it is still have to work as a movie, having it still not leave the planet Earth. And you need really good actors in order to do that.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's so fun to watch. Um, Frank Oz, I think I would love for you to talk about, because I... I'm not used to seeing his face, right? Because yeah. I think we know of him as uh, such a creative genius. But what? Yeah. How did? he Well, come to be? so
0: I had I became friends with with Frank uh, when we were doing the Yoda scene in The Last Jedi, and he, we stayed close. Well, and
1: pause. And Can you give that sentence? <laughs> <laughs> like, I know. We were doing <laughs> as I Yoda was saying that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, just an all-time thing. I mean, just, yeah, what can you say? And Frank is also the loveliest guy in the world. And besides being obviously Yoda and Miss Piggy and having been there from the start with the Muppets, Frank is also an incredible director. Um, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels is one of the best con men movies of all times. Little Shop of Horrors, I think, is one of the all time, yes, all time great movie musical adaptations. Um, So, uh, to be friends with Frank I just is something I value so much in life and I asked him, he also I, I grew up watching him pop up in these little roles in like the Blues Brothers and you know, when I was a kid so I thought, oh Frank come on down, you'll play the lawyer, it'll be fun and I didn't realize until he got on set how generous and gracious he was in agreeing to do it because I realized he really doesn't enjoy doing it really? and yeah, I don't think he loves being on camera without, without a puppet, you sure. know and he, uh, but he was so sweet I thought he did a really good job and it just makes me really really happy to to have Frank Oz in the movie
1: yeah. yeah that's gotta be the coolest thing um I can talk for days and ask a ton of questions do you guys have some questions you want to ask I saw you first go for it was a question about the execution of the serums and the the wrong medication if
0: so she didn't know that she gave him the right stuff. She just subconsciously, through doing it a thousand times, grabbed the right things and injected him without even thinking, and then looked at the labels and realized she had given him the wrong stuff. Because remember, the liquid was in the wrong vials. So. Every single piece. So she absolutely looked at the labels and was la- she subconsciously did it just through muscle memory without thinking, and then the actual evidence in front of her eyes is that she had just given him 100 milligrams of morphine. So she, she reacted to that. Does that make sense? But, but
1: she could see that it wasn't that.
0: Good. Yeah, she, no, she couldn't, because remember, Ransom switched, switched the liquids the in the tube. So she had literally given him... From the wrong vial, you'll have to see it a second time, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate the question. I know it's it, and that part of it is was something that I just tried to work over and over to try and get it as simple as possible. And I know it's still not that simple. So, I, I appreciate you you flowing with it.
1: <laughs> it's good to have to think about it. Yes.
0: Yeah, the question is about Parasite, and <laughs> which is an incredible movie. If anyone here hasn't seen Parasite, it's. The movie of the year—it's amazing—and about how that movie also kind of looked at issues of class, and how and why this one does as well. Yeah, this is something that—I mean—I've been thinking about this movie for about ten years. I'd had the basic idea about ten years ago, and so—and there's something about the murder mystery genre that is uniquely suited to looking at class. If you look at Agatha Christie's work, if you look at Gosford Park, which is a great example of that. Yeah, um, it's. I think because the murder mystery, by its very nature, it creates a little microcosm of society, this contained group, and then through all the suspects, you're getting a cross-section of that society from the high to the low, and then investigating their relationship with the top of the power pyramid. And so because of that, it's something that by its very structure and nature is ideally suited to investigating class. Now what's interesting to me is, the done it is usually done in the context of A, a period piece, because it's usually an Agatha Christie thing, so it's usually disconnected from our present time, and B, it's usually in Britain, because, again, it's usually an Agatha Christie adaptation, and we as Americans kind of can be a little haughty and think, oh, those British with their upstairs-downstairs nonsense, and so the idea of Taking this thing that was a great X-ray machine of that stuff and applying it to America in 2018 seemed like that could, in addition to be very being very entertaining, also kind of yield some interesting things. So, yeah. i
1: was gonna go back. Yes, you, sir, gray sweatshirt. That's a good question. The question about Harlan knowing. The, that he was getting the right and the wrong drug.
0: Yeah, so Harlan has just, it, this, this is how, in, in my mind, this is how it works. And to me, this makes sense, and it may or may not, That you may or may not buy this, but for me, Harlan has just been told by his nurse and shown the vials and shown, I just injected you 100 milligrams of this, which is morphine. And here are, and she describes the symptoms to him of what is about to happen to his body. Now, I don't know about you, but with me, and I think it's a very human reaction, if you're told that and you're told all those things, you're going to start feeling those symptoms. Almost like when you look at Web, make the mistake of looking at WebMD when you have like a little pain in your side and you're like, oh my God, I'm dying of Legionnaire's disease or something, you know. So, in my mind, because it's such a quick, concentrated amount of time, because it's so stressful, and because he's just had all this laid out, it's hard to see, but we did give him a ton of sweat by the end of it. And we kind of like, I figured, he in his mind does not know that he has not gone on the right dose. He's going to be at the very least feeling those things. That's it's my answer. I'm sticking to it. <laughs>
1: Thank you. Sure, sure. Right in front.
0: It's a really good question. It's about the tone and how the tone of the movie like came about. And the uh, for me the the thing I was kind of aiming for, I talked before about how like I, I didn't want it to be a parody. I love Clue. I love Murder by Death, but I I I didn't want it to slip into being a parody of a who done it. To me the the sweet spot was um, some of my favorite Who'd Done It films are the ones where Peter Ustinov played Poirot. So, Death on the Nile, Evil Under the Sun from the late 70s and early 80s. And those movies were. Big, fun entertainments. They were kind of cheeky and self-aware, but they never tipped entirely into comedy. So that was what I I was going for. I don't think it was actually incredibly... It's hard to communicate that on the page, and that was the first question I always had to answer when people read the script, is tonally, where does this land? And it was something I just had to say what I just said to you guys, to the actors, and then on set we had to kind of find it. And what I mentioned before about really good actors being able to bring things up, Bigger than you would think, and still have them feel connected as characters. That that's where that comes into play. The WhatsApp, well. yeah, and post too, yeah. Finding all the st- all the rhythm and all of it, yeah, and the music and all of it, yeah. It all adds in. Yeah.
1: Which I'm sorry, I'm going to ask one. Uh, which which scene was like the most difficult or longest? Like what, what sequence took the longest to shoot?
0: Well, the uh, the scene between Marta and Harlan, the essential one, because we were in such a small space, that was the, the, that took a little while to do. Um, yeah, that was probably the most intricate. And also that's one where in the middle of what's been a very arch movie, we have to land, or they have to land. It's really on them, a very incredibly emotionally impactful scene, or the whole thing doesn't work. So. That's the one we're kind of, kind of focused on the most, I think. Yeah, so, a couple days. How long? Yeah, no, that was that was near death. Oh God, we were probably in that room for the entire thing. It was a very long scene. Also, it was probably uh, nearly a week. I think. Yeah, oh, yeah. Nice. We faked this poor guy out earlier. Oh, yes. <laughs> Let's go to, yeah. yeah.
1: Star Wars is stressful.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. The question is, was it going from like a big production of Star Wars to something like this? Um, the answer. I mean, it's weird to say. Like, it doesn't. It it didn't feel like. Oh my God! Thank God I'm out of that big machine and back into something real. It, it did not feel that that connection. Did not that did not feel like that at all. It was. Um, it was nice to move faster. You know, it was nice to, just because Star Wars was literally four years of of process soup to nuts, whereas this we got done literally all in one year. So um, that felt good. But it. I don't know. Star Wars. I think I had a really blessed experience making. Star Wars, making the Star Wars movie I made. I had a really beautiful experience making it. It felt, it is in some ways a big machine, but it's also something we're at the heart of it when you're doing the real work. It is very intimate and personal, and it's not very different from doing any other kind of movie. You're still just trying to make the scene land with the actors and trying to tell your story, so um, it's less different than you would think, I guess. Yeah, I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah.
1: That sounds good. I want to go way back. I see the white Long sleeve shirt. Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah. Christie. Did everyone hear the question? Just kind of like what sort, what did I read? What research should I do? Um, I, because I grew up reading Agatha Christie because I'm just a whodunit junkie. Also, I didn't have to go and do any real specific research for this. It was more about just kind of, um, uh, I don't know, just kind of like figuring out, just thinking about the big soup in my head of all that stuff that I love and figuring out trying to boil down to its essence what the stuff is I love about it and figure out how to really get that on the screen. So it was less about digging into specific sources and doing research and more about just kind of investigating my own lifetime love of the genre and trying to kind of boil that down to its essence, I guess. Um, we, did, we did some uh, research with, with, a, uh, with a home nurse, with a, with, a, um, with a caregiver, and we also, I did some cop research with this also to make sure we weren't being absolutely silly in how the detective and trooper interacted with, with the case. But um, in terms of whodunits, though, yeah. Yeah. And, and Christie is the big one for me. I love Dorothy Sayre. I love John Dixon Carr. But for me, Christie is, is the one I started with.
1: Fun. Would you ever do an Agatha Christie adaptation?
0: I don't know. It's really fun just mm. making the money. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not. I'm. I'm yeah, I don't know. Uh, I I love the Brano one actually. I'm really looking forward to Death on the Nile. I like to. I like to. Yeah, it's going to be. Oh, it's such a good story. It's going to be great. <laughs> but everyone, go see the Euston off before that one. Or I don't know. Is that an asshole thing to say before the, Before the next one comes out, because I love the Euston off one so much. I'm sure Brano's will be different and, and great also. But yeah. Yeah,
1: you, we should all see the classic greats. Yes. Yeah. Uh, someone else back. Yes, you sir.
0: Uh, Question yeah. Was
1: what genres should he explore next, or does he want to explore next? Yeah,
0: I would. I keep talking to my composer about doing a musical. Yeah. How much fun yeah. that would be, right? That'd be fun. Yes. Yeah. You do it. Yeah. Sold. All right. Sold. All right. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. Well. That's easy. In fact, I have a crazy idea for a musical. Which, I guess I can pitch it is. here. So yeah, I was saying. Yes. I was thinking of doing. This is gonna be wild, though. I was thinking of doing a musical adaptation of. Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical Cats. <laughs> um, I've kind of had my head in a hole for the past year, so I haven't really come up and really thought about how the market would take it. But well, I'm excited to. I
1: don't know how to tell you this. What? But what's this? There is an interesting film. I'm breaking approach. my heart. <laughs> I'm so excited for Cats. I would okay, actually, wait, Are you really? I actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> that's incredible. <I> was <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. I
0: saw a, I saw Cats when I was like 18 and on Broadway, and it was like late in the run of Cats, and I was so, those cats were so bored on the on stage, <laughs> those cats didn't give a fuck, man. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, I think one of the things that so I respect so much about Ryan Johnson in general is like you're such a supporter and cheerleader for film in general, and I think following Ryan on Twitter, if you don't already, is such a joy because. I mean, I'm a reporter, I should know all this stuff, but I feel like I learned from Ryan just because his enthusiasm is so infectious. So please follow him on Twitter because he doesn't only promote his own stuff, even though he totally could.
0: I really try not to. And I apologize to anyone that follows me that the past few months, I've been just squawking about this all the time. I'm, I know should. it's kind of annoying, but yeah, anyway. But Yeah, yeah I love that. And there's so many good movies out right now. I'm so happy you mentioned Parasite. It's a, But The Lighthouse is amazing. Oh, if anyone has oh, seen The Lighthouse. Oh my God! Uh, Uncut Gems, which is coming out in Christmas. If anyone saw uh, Good Times, the Safety brothers' brutal. last movie, and you dug it, yeah. Uncut Gems is amazing. Um, yeah, there's, it's a good season right now, man. Yeah, yeah. It's good. It's,
1: it's been a good. Year. A hidden
0: life, yeah. I haven't seen, I, uh, I was at the Malik?
1: Yeah, it
0: is. I, is it in theaters right now? It's, it's kind of okay. All right. Only
1: three hours and twenty minutes. Okay,
0: <laughs> I cannot wait. Have you seen it? No. Okay. All right. I can't I wait. Know, and we know. always, uh, my wife and I, we always see his, you have to see him in the theater, you got it. So yeah, I'm excited to get out and see it. Which one? Atlantic. Atlantics, yeah, my, my, I, I, my wife is just telling me we gotta see that too, okay. Atlant- Atlantics, yeah. It's yeah, yeah. good, we
1: got so much to watch. I know, um, so much good stuff. Is anyone, oh, far right, yes, plaid, yes. Oh, great question about the music.
0: Yeah, so Nathan Johnson, who did the score for this, he's, we've been working together since Brick, we've been working together since we were 10 years old, he's my cousin. <laughs> um, <laughs> Been making movies together since we were kids and um yeah this is his i'm so proud of nathan's work and that he is this is his first orchestral score this is his first time working with an orchestra and we had so much fun we went out to abbey road to record it and we were just like we were such nerds we were just like do it, just just you know and you record it with like two microphones like that they've had there forever that they call Paul and John, the microphones wow. and like the piano that they from day in the life is like they're in the studio. Or they tell you they tell you it's the piano from day to the life. They could tell us anything probably but um, <laughs> anyway, I just yeah Nathan and I we, he's you know one of the very first people I show any script to with this I've been telling we have been talking about this movie for the past 10 years and um, just a really collaborative deep relationship and he's uh, yeah he's like he's, he's more like a brother than a cousin to me really yeah.
1: Is there ever an, like an extra ask to do like an orchestral score or is it totally depend on your composer and Depending uh, on the budgets and
0: whatnot. We, no, yeah, it depends. Do you mean like, does it cost more to do? Yeah, like,
1: does the studio ever balk at? No, we can't afford an orchestra.
0: No, I mean, we we you know something like brick, we couldn't afford. We just couldn't afford an orchestra. <laughs> I mean, we, he was literally getting cheese graters from you know the local Tesco in London and playing them with mallets and stuff. But um, but no, this, there's something like this, especially where the scope of it like requires it. It was yeah, we could afford violins. Yeah.
1: <laughs> thank goodness. Thank goodness. I don't know who else to choose. How about the person who's waving their hand wildly way in the back? <laughs> Floral print, I think. Yeah.
0: Yes.
1: Hey, did you have a set idea as to what Martha does with the will? Or did you purposely leave that as is? <laughs> <laughs> a good question. about I, the will. I
0: have my theories. <laughs> She's, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I guess it's a little more fun just leaving it to everybody's imagination, what she does, I think, you know, but I do. I have, I have my idea of what it would. You know, she's Marta. You know, what do you think she's going to do? Um, I yeah. Keep everything. Maybe. <laughs> kind of hope so. <laughs>
1: keep everything and then like help other people that actually deserve. Oh, I like that idea. Right. You see, That's there you Marta. Go. she would do that. There's our post credit scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who else? Okay. Yes, sir. Yeah,
0: he was asked about Cowboy Bebop, which is a thing that I deeply love, and was a was an influence on Brick and on and on Looper. Um, and asked whether there was any of that in this. Uh, God, no, not really. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if there is, if you spot any, let me know because stuff works its way in there, but. but no yeah no i'm so curious where right? they're making a show out of it now right they doing a new show i'm so curious to see that yeah we say. but yeah no not really <laughs> i'm happy to meet another fellow bebop fan though
1: are there ever, like, uh, things that you intentionally sneak in from other films, aside from actors that you've enjoyed working with? Um,
0: once in a while, yeah. And with this, the set is so dense. There's, like, other stuff that we were able to, like, slip in a little bit here and there. Uh-huh. But, um, but yeah, once in a while you sneak stuff okay. in there. You where, don't want to get too, ch- too cheeky with it. That okay. would be telling. Ah.
1: <laughs> it's a good, sal- good salesman. There we have go. to see it three times, more than two. Three yes. Times.
0: With that, like, incredible cast that you had, having them all together at once, like, what was that... What was the set like? What was that experience like? Yeah, I, having all the cast there together at once, especially during the will reading scene and the argument scene, it was so much, those were the best days on set. And um, and again, everyone just, everyone, it was, I, I was so nervous going on set because all of those actors, all those names, you're just like, is this gonna be like a movie star ego nightmare thing? And it was the opposite. Everyone checked their egos out there. Everyone was just lovely and everyone enjoyed each other's work. That's the fun thing about those scenes is they're mostly listening to each other. And um, they were a blast, man. Yeah, everyone just kind of feeding off of each other. Yeah, I think you can tell. It's one of the things I'm happy with. I think mean, you can tell how much fun we were having. That's a genuine reflection of what it was like on the set. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I know. I read that uh, everyone would hang out kind of downstairs in the rec room. Yeah. Um, was there is there anything you're willing to share of like? The story swapping that went around, like so, someone telling a great
0: yeah. I mean, they would they would literally all sit around and tell war stories down there. And but the thing is, every time I would try and sneak down as I came down the stairs, I could hear the conversation getting twenty percent less interesting as I approached. So I don't think I got any of the good stuff. <sighs> I probably should have like left my phone recording down there at some yeah. point, but I I didn't. I'm not that nefarious. Yeah,
1: I definitely feel like Jamie Lee Curtis and Don Johnson have like. Yeah. Stories they got some
0: stories, share. man. Yeah. Yeah. They've seen some stories.
1: We'll have to do it on the camera trail. Yes, sir. I was just wondering how you rehearse. Do you just do a table read and then shoot?
0: Uh yeah, rehearsal. Um, I don't do table reads. I've, I've done one in my life for Brick, and it was such a disaster that I we almost didn't make the movie. And so, I know there are directors who really find value on that. I feel like I just have never found a way to do a table read where it, it, it's it's helpful for me, I guess. Um, and with this, unfortunately, because it, we, it came together so fast in all the actors' schedules, we really didn't have rehearsal with most of them either. So, for a, most of the actors, they were showing up day one, and we were just jumping into it. Um, which is not ideal, especially for Something like this, but the actors are so good that I found they clicked into it very quick. And um, yeah, so uh, it's again, I, I I love to rehearse when I can. Sometimes you just as you know, you just don't have the luxury, and this was one of those cases.
1: Nice, couple yeah. more. Yeah, right in front. Question about pacing while shooting and how he maintains it.
0: Yeah, no, it's a really good question. Yeah, you have to. Th- yeah, you're thinking about pacing while you're shooting. Absolutely. Um, and. Generally, yeah. I mean, generally, you're 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 asking the actors to go faster. (laughs) It's a general thing, but not always. Sometimes it is letting them know you can take a moment with this, or letting them know it's for me. It's 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 um, because there are kind of two levels of pacing. There's the within the scene pacing, but then. The comedic pacing of it—that you're paying attention to on set, on set to a large degree—and the litmus test is really just you kind of have to be an audience, be the most objective audience you can be for them, you know. And I, I find, I find just I spend just a lot of time, if I'm biting my hand trying not to ruin the take behind the the you know monitor, then that's a good sign. Um, but um, but yeah, it, it's it's it is something where you have to be conscious of it on set, and then. Anyone here who's an editor knows how much work then goes in the edit room of really dialing it in. But um, on set, you just try and be as conscious of it as you can.
1: I got the rap single, signal, guys. I was going to go way back.
0: Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Oh, OK. Yeah. Oh, and one more. I know she's
1: dying down there. <laughs> hey, I'm always just curious and interested to hear what, what scene did you film first, last, yeah. Kind of where did you wrap up? I'm sure not at the very end.
0: Yeah, we, we hopped all around with the filming. I'm trying to think what, Ram, do you remember what the first scene we shot was? It was, oh my god, that's a very good question. You know what? It was. It, it, I think it was the exterior. I think it was when Marda shows up at the house, and, and Meg is there, and Kath, Catherine is there, and they have their first scene. So that might have been one of the very first scenes we shot. The very last scene we shot, Rom. again, help me out? No, it's it's such a blur. The thing is, with the last thing you shoot, any of you make movies, you know this. It's never anything cool or dramatic. It's usually like a shot of keys being put down or something. <laughs> it's something you've forgotten and pushed, pushed. Well, we'll get that. We'll get that. We'll get. And finally, you're doing a shot of like eggs being stirred or something like that. So it was probably a stupid insert that <laughs> there was nothing to really talk about. Yeah. Nice, yeah. Nice. Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> country <is> <laughs> what country is Marta. What
1: country is from? The question you're
0: gonna have to ask the thrombies because they know they're the <laughs> closer. Yeah. Also, I so respect that you watched the whole movie from the front all the way in the side. I feel like you deserve a round of applause for that. I can't imagine what that was like. Oh, yeah. And you, and you too over here. Yeah. <laughs> you guys too. You want to about? And yeah, you? lesson.
1: How do you do what Ryan does is the question?
0: <laughs> a question. Yeah. A very good one. Advice for just kind of an co- upcoming filmmaker. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it it, it I am sure if I was if I had asked that question when I was starting out and gone the answer I'm about to give, I would be frustrated probably. So I apologize in advance, <laughs> but the only advice that I think is actually worth a damn is um, is to not get your head wrapped up in how do i break in how do i make a career how do i what do i do to get an agent what do i do to get into the industry that that really is putting um, the cart before the horse i really i really believe that your only job is to work on Your voice and to work on. Just make as many movies as you can. Don't get precious. Don't worry about making them look professional. Don't worry about shooting with great equipment. Don't worry about any of that. Shoot with your phone. Use your friends as actors. Anything you do, just make them, make them, make them, make them, make make them, and develop, get better and better at telling a story with a camera and develop and figuring out what you want to say, figuring out what it is what the well, filling up that well that you're going to be drawing from where the real stuff is, which is, you know, life and experience and your relationships and all of that stuff, you know. Um, and I really believe that, like, if you develop that and you get to the point where you're making interesting stuff and putting it out there, you know, not, nothing's, who knows, nothing's guaranteed. But that's that's the stuff that then attracts the industry to, to you in some shape or form, you know. And you can't really... I don't know. In that way, you know, it it, it it's in in any way, it's uniquely unhelpful to think about like being a sniper and targeting. I'm going to do this, and that'll get my career going because it, it it's so wacky. It, and everyone's story is different, and you can never predict how you're going to actually break in. So, yeah, I don't know. That's my that's my kind of probably uh, unuseful, but ultimately really useful advice. Just just work, just make stuff, man, and keep making it. You know. So anyway.
1: Yeah. Well. I'll we got, we're, we got our time cut, but thank you guys so much. Guys, for thanks for around. coming.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Great question.
0: Thanks for listening to the Landmark Theatres Q&A podcast. If you want to hear more conversations with filmmakers about the latest independent, foreign, and documentary films opening at Landmark Theatres, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app or visit our podcast website at landmarktheaters.podbean.com. You can also check out our YouTube channel for videos of Q&As and other exclusive content. See you next time.